You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 343. I am Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, all good with you, I presume? Well, apart from the fact that it's a bank holiday and the kids aren't in school, so I'm, uh, <laughs> my blood pressure is a bit higher than normal, our, apart from that. Our kids have uh, spring break starting today, so Cole is uh, not far away, and of course, Brooke is still in bed sleeping. Not a surprise. <laughs> Cole, Cole is like me. He's an early waker. He'll wake up early and uh, get his day started. And if left to her own devices, Brooke will sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon. I've I've read somewhere that apparently with teenagers, that's almost a physiological thing. Well, they need a lot of sleep because of development and things like that. And it's not just them being lazy that all of a sudden they become teenagers and all of a sudden they, they want to stay until after lunch to sleep. Yeah, well... She's good at it. She's been practicing. She's a professional at this point in yeah. sleeping. So anyways, uh, you saw that Apple had their event this past week in Chicago, Illinois. Yep. And of course, they're going to concentrate on education. Now, you have to go back to when Apple was first kind of growing as a company. And one of their strategies... And it proved to be a very good one was to get their relatively inexpensive computers, the Apple II, into schools, um, more specifically elementary and high school type of schools. And the thought was, and the prediction came true, that the kids would love the devices, they would become consumers themselves eventually and they would have a natural inclination to buy Apple products because that's what they learned on. And they were a hundred percent correct. That's exactly what happened. Apple had a very strong uh, presence in education as someone who grew up in the eighties, you know, graduated high school in the eighties. I remember computer labs and they were always full of Apple twos and early Macs and, that's just how it was. You didn't see too many IBM clones or IBM computers in education. They were just too expensive, and a Apple had that market cornered. And one of the reasons they had that Apple that that market cornered was they had a huge discount. Number one for education, which you know, as you well know, schools are notoriously poor on cash, right? Yeah, and. They also have to plan for years in advance. But more importantly, Apple courted the developers. And they made a lot of educational-focused software on the Apple II. And, and that, I think, was kind of the big reasons Apple succeeded the way they did. They had a focus on education. So a lot of people were optimistic about this event. Hey, Apple's going to – maybe they're going to have a shift in focus on – education again david yeah not so much i i i, mean, I found it interesting to 
see, you know, bearing in mind some of the things we've talked about recently to do with Apple and and some of the things they are they don't do as well as as you know, maybe older guys like us perceive they used to do. Um, there was there was a, quite a lot of um, excited anticipation about this event in the thing that you know the idea was that they were going to launch loads of things. You know that it was going to be a kind of a wholesale retrenchment back towards the education market. Uh, you know there was poten- the potential maybe of a, of a cheaper MacBook. Um, there was uh, a whole load of kind of anticipation around this and. In the end, it, it turned out to be not really that at all. There's there's a new iPad, which effectively is an update of the old iPad with new internals and um, pencil support. There's a whole load new uh, of new education initiatives in terms of software, which are fine as far as they go, but the problem is they're not launched yet, uh, and Apple doesn't have a great track record recently of, of bringing things out... Um, to the level which they've perhaps demoed them at, you know, when it comes iBooks to would come, iBooks and education yeah. is a, a prime example. Exactly. Yeah. They completely. And also, as well, Apple has a strong reputation, even with its, you know, much more bigger announcements in in the, you know, its regular events of announcing something with a big splash, and then as soon as it hits the market, just forget, almost like they forget it exists, never developing or updating it, which is the last thing you want to do in the education space. And um, I, that's a good point, but. Apple seems to – I've read a couple articles on this. I did not watch the, the whole thing online. I have no desire to, to be honest. Um, because I'll be honest, David, I thought it was just going to be boring. Um, a lot of unneeded – no, not unneeded. Um, unfocused attention on – high-end schools, i.e., hey, look, we can get you these devices now, and it's going to be focused more on creativity, not actual education, and the products that they're going to be pushing are going to be expensive, and it's not going to at all address where actual educational technology is currently at and has been moving in a certain direction for many years, and I was 100% right. Yeah, I, I think I think that... I, I don't understand why they don't get this message. I, look, we, we, I think we appreciate that Apple releasing bargain basement hardware is never going to happen. Well, and, and Apple, Apple is a hardware company. That's what they do, and that's, that's where that's their biggest failing in education right now because the educational market isn't about the hardware. This is what no, no one at Apple understands. It's about the services and the affordability. Yeah. That's why Chromebooks that's- are so good. Yeah, Chromebooks are good, not because, I mean, let's face it, Chromebook hardware is terrible Yeah. in the main. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I, for, I'm a big Chromebook fan. In fact, I just bought a recent Chrome, recent a recent model Chromebook, which I absolutely love. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, and it's not crappy hardware. It's actually really very nice hardware. But the sort of Chromebooks that schools buy, they buy the absolute cheapest they can get because they want to get as many as they can for their budget. Yep. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. In a school's environment where these things, these things are going to get beaten about, um, bashed around, um, you know, those those sorts of issues mean that, that actually it's not a great idea unless you're a high-end prep or high school, uh, a private school effectively, where, um, you know, you're, you can incentivize your pupils to look after the stuff better. Right. Yeah. 
it's it's not it doesn't make sense for them to buy expensive fragile hardware they want something that's reasonably robust um but they've and easily easily replaced exactly and that's the advantage of a chromebook is you can if i have a chromebook here and i drop it on the floor and smash it into a thousand pieces i can pull another one out of the box and log on and everything i had there before is there instantly exactly and that's yeah. the part that apple doesn't get no, exactly. That that is the that is the power of it. Plus, as well, because Google has a, a really strong services play, yeah. it's crucially easy, and not only that easy, but cheap for um, for uh, school users to basically say, right, write me an assignment, put it here in this Google Drive, and then the teacher can see all of them. She can mark them, she can annotate them, and everything. The kids see the stuff in real time. Yeah, that. That is the power of the, of, the, uh, of a, a, a Google Chromebook device, and that is something you're absolutely right. Apple does not get. They kind of grudgingly have put multi-user support into the iPad, um, but the problem is, is that they are focused, yeah, on on amazing-looking tech demos, yep, and amazing creativity suites, being able to do this, being able to do that. You know, most kids. Yeah, they have a, a, a what forty-minute, fifty-minute class. The teacher just needs to get through the material. And how many classes are devoted to, hey, guys, we're going to create this cool thing. You all have your own pro. It's not. They're so misguided, Apple. They just do not understand. Here's an idea for Apple. If you're really going to focus on education, really focus on education. And by that, I mean, yep, you need to answer that or something. Yeah, I'm just going to. I don't know where it is. I'm going to turn it off. Hold on a second. (laughs) Sure. So while David does that, let's uh, thank our sponsor, OWC. (laughs) They have, of course, their big garage sale going on right now, and they've got some great prices and a lot of hardware that, hey, as a Mac user, as a PC user, it's going to come in really handy. Um, Quite honestly, there's some almost too many things to talk about. One jumped out at me. I think that, quite honestly, something that I could use. A 7,200 RPM, 3.5-inch SATA drive. This is a bare drive. 8 terabytes. 8 terabyte drive. $234.99. So just round it up. 235 bucks. 8 terabytes of storage. I'll put a link directly into this product. Uh, we want to thank OWC and MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode of TechFan. You need storage? This is a desk car. Desk star nas drive you can use it all by itself it's what i'm going to do if i end up getting one um but i probably i I could use it but i don't need it right now because i've got about mm, 25 percent left of a four terabyte drive that i haven't filled up yet but heck with an eight terabyte i'll probably be set for next couple years so if you need hard drive space check out maxsales.com you back there david I'm back, yeah. So, Sorry about that. Oh, no, no problem at all. So what I think Apple doesn't understand, and my frustration, is they don't understand the education market as it exists today. And they, their, their whole thing of, hey, it, we don't want the students to be uh, content absorbers. We want our consumer. We want them to create. Well, Apple, they're already doing that. They don't need to do that in school. In school, they need to learn arithmetic, mathematics, spelling. Give them the tools they need to succeed. 
Not, look, here's the thing. Apple's whole thing. Hey, you can get this iPad and this pencil. Yeah, I can get two Chromebooks, two and a half Chromebooks for the same price. Yeah, the, the problem with the new iPad is, yeah, the, just the iPad itself, it is, don't get me wrong, the, the current iPad is the best value probably in the entire Apple line. And it's probably the best value product they have ever made. Yeah, it's effectively the internals with this with this update in particular. It's the internals of, of the most recent iPad Airs. Yeah, you have the pencil support as well, and it's still just under just over three hundred dollars. That is an exceptional price as a consumer product. Yeah, um, but the problem is in a school, you yep. need a keyboard with it. Well, no, you don't need yeah. a keyboard with it. The kids nowadays yeah, well, are. You know what you do because the thing is. The principal thing Apple missed about what the what's the principal thing that students create in school and it's words, yeah. They have to write stuff and and you can't realistically attack the school market without giving them a good writing tool. And I'm sorry, I don't, I think it's a bit of a cop out to say oh the kids just like typing on the screens nowadays. But the problem is you type on the screen on an iPad, particularly a 9.7 inch iPad, and immediately half the screen is missing because it's covered up by the keyboard. Yeah, it's a lousy experience. I know I've done it plenty of times myself, and you can live with it, but it's not the best experience. And then you look at a Chromebook that's $150, $200, and hey, you can see the whole screen and you have a hardware keyboard. Good point. Yep. Yeah. And here's so, the other aspect. Here, here, kids, carry this nine, almost 10 inch chunk of glass around with you all day long in school where it's all marble floors and hard wood desks. Yeah, there's a great idea. Not, what could yeah. go wrong? Metal lockers. Yeah. And if something yeah. happens to your iPad, well, just grab another one, log in, and you're, oh, wait. Yeah, you don't, can't do that. <laughs> yeah. on. You wait, you wait 45 minutes while it re-downloads everything. Right. And then, uh, worst, and then worst thing is... Some of the, hopefully the thing was backed up. Right. Yeah. And you've got to do the whole, um, you know, um, Apple Store, Apple ID password dance where you've got to type it in loads of times to make it all work. Even in a school environment where they have better control of that, that is not as seamless as a Chromebook. No, it's just not. And and that's what Apple just... They don't understand the modern... Here... here I was going to say this before David's phone rang. Apple... If you're really serious about education, have a division with an Apple, and I'm sure you do, but it's a joke, let's be honest. It's probably eight people at the most. Hire a true educational department within Apple who spends time in not just these uh, high-end private schools, but the Chicago public school system. How about that? How about some rural schools down in uh, Louisiana? Yeah. You know, the schools that are poor and then a $300 or $400 after you add in the stupid pencil, see how that's going to fit in with their workflow where they can't even afford paper in large quantities. The teachers are still buying Kleenex and, and hand sanitizer for their classes because the school district can't afford it. How about the school districts that haven't given their teachers a raise in a decade? How about the and you want them to spend four hundred dollars per student for a chunk of glass with a fake pencil? Apple is insane. They have no idea. They they live in a bubble when it comes to education. They have no idea what's really going on, and and this whole event made them look stupid and pathetic. 
even this school that they held it in, this, um, you know, it's a Chicago public school, but it's one of these landmark schools that had a load of money thrown at it yep. to show what the school system can do when it's properly financed. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not a, a real world in a city Chicago school. Yeah, this is this is a, a school with plenty of money. You know what? I, uh, to me, Apple's approach from this is all, all wrong. First of all, on the hardware front, I think the best thing they could do is design something maybe a little bit smaller, but maybe an 8-inch device with a decent screen. Effectively, it's an iPad with a keyboard attached to it, but it's like a convertible, yeah? Make it education-only if you want to. If you want to push the iPad rather than the Mac, and I understand why they want to do that, then fine, yeah? So that's the first thing. Bring the price down, yeah? Shoehorn a keyboard onto it, yeah, make it more robust. Put it in a in a instead of a, a you know a Johnny Ive super slim aluminium shell. You put it in something that's that's more chunky and robust, still with the Apple aesthetics. Yeah. Then secondly, you sort out the services side. You actually set up a full Apple school iCloud that works completely differently from the rest of uh, iCloud and is focused on sharing data between apps. And then the third thing you could probably do, bearing in mind you're sitting on the world's largest pile of cash. Uh, you got into the part that I was just going to say. You to repatriate that yep. at low tax rates. Yeah. Why don't you donate some of these devices to the more, um, the more, the more uh, requiring schools? Hey, Apple, you know, here's an idea. It's called the 50-state initiative. Every year you take another five states and you give every student or every school X number of iPads. Forget the yeah. pencil, it's stupid. Just the iPads. That's it. That's all you have to do. How about that? You want to talk about making a splash? You want to talk about the educational system loving you and your company and your products? You're giving away iPads. Imagine how what, what, it would be massive. You don't think the parents in those districts would be grateful? Yeah. I mean, never even occurred to them. They're just sitting on this giant pile of cash doing nothing with it, just hoarding it, hoarding it, hoarding it. Oh, look, here's for the school districts. We're going to charge you $400 for a sheet of glass and a, pe and a fake pencil. Yeah, thanks. That's really helpful. Now, I'm not saying that their software isn't amazing. It is. And the hardware, by far, is amazing. But it does not address where the current educational system is. And it is Chromebooks. And it's Chromebooks for a reason. I don't care if you like Google or not. I don't care if you like their current uh, privacy concerns or not. Here's the, here's the honest truth. Google played the long game. They built up the infrastructure, the seamless infrastructure, for ed the educational and the home market when it comes to Chromebooks. They made it super simple, and they gave them the basic tools to get the job done, and it's been massively popular. It didn't happen overnight. And Apple's thought of a, a device that's going to cost twice as much, if not more, than the competitors by focusing on the hardware is wrong-headed it's almost embarrassing. I, I don't yeah. understand it. I, don't, I really don't. I don't. I don't have a problem with them not seriously pursuing the education market. I don't either, but or, if you're going or to... Even, or even pursuing just the high-end education market. I don't have a problem with that. That is, that is a business strategy, and ultimately, as we've said, Apple is about selling hardware. Could be they've decided, you know what? Selling our hardware to school districts where the the majority of the people in our school district we don't think are ever going to be good customers of ours. 
yeah, is is a waste of our time. I don't have a problem with that decision. I think it's I think it's um, it clashes with with Apple's kind of um, e- social awareness ethos. Um, I don't think it really fits with that. But nevertheless, as a hard nosed business decision, I can understand that. But in that case, kind of own it. Yeah, don't do these educational events where you kind of dress it up like you know here we are we're going to do we you know we're going to bring magic to the whole of education and then produce something that everybody looks at and goes well well yeah that's fine for the rich kids but what about everybody else and unfortunately looking at it from the outside that's how that this event came across to me oh i I 100 percent agree this is is privileged education how wonderful it could be you know privileged schools are the ones where they have the time to all wander out into the class into the into the 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 schoolyard and start drawing pictures of insects with their apple pencil yeah yeah but you know what in in hard-nosed um poor districts the teachers the underpaid teachers don't have barely have enough time and resources to get through the proper curriculum let alone doing everything like that but you know what that that's a wider indictment of the ed- education system that's not directly apple's fault yeah no but apple exists in this environment and if they're going to have an event exactly the way you said, where you're going to show these pie-in-the-sky products for the richest and most prosperous school districts, you come across as very elitist assholes. You just do. And if nobody within your organization could point that out, maybe you have the wrong people working there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And don't get me wrong. I, You know, I love Apple. I think it's one of the better companies when it comes to social awareness and yeah i agree you know they they, my son has been to classes they run in the apple store during the school holidays in the summer here in the uk where you can go you but you go in every day for a week and they show you they like use the products they show you how to make videos they show you how to do drawings and all that sort of thing and then the end of the week all the parents go in and see what the kids have done yeah you know and they do that for free right obviously it's it's part of a marketing thing but nevertheless they don't have to do it many other companies most other companies would don't do that right so you know i'm not bashing them for what they do the problem is it is they're kind of dressing it up as you know this is this is the best for everybody when in fact it's it's million miles away from that is is kind of what irritates Mm -hmm. so let's move on to a company that makes us happy and that's facebook (laughs) oh dear so you post facebook's having its uber moment uh yeah they really are (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's coming out that uh a lot of what has made people give facebook a pass over the past few years has been exposed as being what it is which is pr spin and marketing fluff and in fact deep down they're not a very nice company no and and like google facebook's customers are not their users it's the advertisers and that's starting to become an issue because when we say advertisers, well, who are those advertisers? It's becoming increasingly clear that really bad people <laughs> are are using this data for nefarious purposes. Well, I, I think that's the problem. In fact, this is the issue with Facebook is it actually a lot of its customers aren't advertisers. They are mm-hmm. people who want the data, but they're not advertisers. Right. The difference between, you know, I... The difference to me between Facebook and Google is that with Google, I feel like you know a lot more about what you're getting into. Yes. Yeah. Google is pretty open and honest about the fact we give you this stuff. Yeah. We will use your data. Um, but 
the majority of the time, Google is, is all about, well, we will use our data, your data for two things. We will either use it for to sell to advertisers or we will use it to improve our products. Yep. Right? But the, the, the problem here with Facebook, and this is the problem with a lot of, um, you know, media to web 2.0 web 3.0 whatever you call them the, the silicon valley darlings is that when they're doing things they know are going to cause problems instead of being upfront about them they hide them and in fact very often they lie about them and say no we are absolutely not doing that well they and had a memo out, and, then, and then you find out and then they go oh yeah we're sorry we let you down yeah, we, we're not going to do this. We're going to change our policies. We're going to change our procedures. We're going to do better. We're going to be better. in the future, not immediately, the future. by the way. Yeah. And, and the problem is this happens over and over and over again. And yeah, Facebook is don't don't be anything. Don't be under any illusion about it. Facebook is about as avariciously using as squeezing every last dollar out of the data they collect on everybody as possible. And the more they can connect the dots and join the, the data together, the better they like it because it makes it more valuable. And that's exactly what's happened here. Yeah. They're becoming obnoxious even to those who pay Facebook to advertise their products and services. I made the huge mistake of promoting a couple of the MyMac stuff on Facebook because the MyMac online on Facebook is set up as a business. And I've paid for a couple paid posts just to reach right. more people. Now they constantly use uh, Messenger. Hey, post this and fifty dollars and blah blah blah, and you can reach just me. It's almost on a daily basis. If I post something, hey, do you want to spend this much money to promote it some more? Ah, uh, you're killing me. Uh, it's like you know, I, I'm very closest to deleting the goddamn page and being done with it because. You're just badgering me over and oh, it's just, it's horrible, it, yeah. you know. But, but, and I'm not collecting really, data from people on on Facebook. I'm just the only thing I wanted to do was more people see the post, so more people like the page and come to mymac.com and read our content or download this show or my Mac or I mean, th that's all I was doing. I was just trying to get more eyeballs on the content itself. I didn't care about the user data. When someone subscribes or likes the page, I don't go into it and see who they are. I could care yeah. less. But the, that's the problem, is that Facebook does. Mm -hmm. that, uh, in fact, you know, this is, I, I think this is a common misunderstanding. Facebook is less interested in the data as they are about the connections between the data. That's where their secret source is. Yep, I totally yeah. agree. Just in the same way that, you know, when... when um, when the when the Chelsea Manning uh, and the and the WikiLeaks stuff first hit, and we found out that actually the uh, security services in the U.S. were were basically monitoring pretty much every phone call coming in and out of the U.S. That was what they said at the time. They said, "Well, we're not interested in the content. We just want to know who's calling who." Yep. Because seeing that tells us an enormous amount of information. Yeah, and and Facebook, that's exactly the same thing. They want to know who liked what. Right, because they can use that on a mass scale to actually determine what people's um, preferences, opinions, um, that sort of thing is. But here's the, here's the problem, and this is one of the thing that kind of winds me up about everybody 
in um, in the modern web who collects data, they go, oh, don't worry, we've got privacy policies. We'll tell you, we, you know, we're, what, you, what, what we're doing with it. We're, we're going to look after your data properly and everything. But then you find out that they've got a scheme to sell the data. Well, once the set, you sell the data, the genie is out the bottle. Yeah. You sell the data to somebody else, you've no idea what they're going to do with it. And half the time, they'll then sell it on to a third party. And it yeah? gets worse than that because it's not just you giving permission to Facebook when you're using the website or uh, the mobile app, you posted uh, in the show notes an article at Ars Technica that, in fact, Facebook was scraping data off Android phones on texting and phone calls, who you're calling and who's calling you, um, how long the call was, what, what possible reason. Now, of course, Facebook says, well, this is just to help build your connection. It's just, it, we're, we're only doing this to, to connect you with the other people. No, that's not exactly, no, that's not what you were doing. This, this reeks of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is saying, we want to look at your contacts so we can find people you know on Facebook. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so you give them permission to do that. But by doing that, you've effectively given them permission to monitor everything you do on your phone, right? And then, then they'll go, yeah, well, we, you agreed to that. We told you we were going to do that. But people don't really – that's the issue. And this is Facebook all over and a lot of these other companies as well. Is people with this, We talked about this, this thing a few months ago with the, uh, the app that was listening to the TV ads through your microphone when you were playing the game on the phone, right? And they get, well, wait, you gave us permission to use your microphone. Yeah, right. But not for that. Exactly. Yeah, and they bury this stuff, and then they go, well, if we've asked permission of everybody. And it's just like, well, you haven't really. You've kind of baited and switched the permission, is what you've done. People, because you know, if you ask people broadly and directly, please, can we do this so we can do it? Please, can we do X with your data so we can then monetize it by doing Y? A lot of times people will go, oh, I don't like the sound of that. I'm not going to do it. So they have to fool you. They have to hide it. And and this problem with the Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, this is Cambridge Analytica. The reason that they're they're upset at being in the middle of this is they're saying their argument is, well, everything we did was perfectly permissible. Facebook allowed us to do it. They had an API to do it. Everything we did, it was allowed. And now after the fact, Facebook are turning around saying that we breached something and we didn't. Yeah. Now, Cambridge Analytica... I don't know how much coverage they've had in the States. But Huge. here in the UK, obviously, they're a British company. The UK journalists have really dug into what they are, and they're a horrible company. Yep. They basically are an avaricious data mining company with very few morals. They have consistently boasted uh, to their clients when they're trying to pitch for business, yeah, we can influence elections. We can release stuff on social media that will drive people one way or the other. We can have people standing outside polling stations trying to discourage people from voting. Yeah, they are one step away from CIA-style Nazis. Manipulation. Yeah, and of course now they've been caught doing it with with Facebook data mining in the US, potentially in support of a Russian campaign. Uh, and people are, are going, well, we really don't like it that. You know, kind of, it's one of these things where people, they don't care when a company does stuff, stuff like this in sub-Saharan Africa. That's kind of fair game. But you do it in the West, all of a sudden people get, uh, get sketchy. Yep. You know, and, and yeah, they're a horrible company. But the, the problem is, is that for Facebook is that Cambridge Analytica were doing something that Facebook said was okay. 
Yeah, the, in fact, they encouraged it. They gave developers the tools to do exactly this. And now all of a sudden, when they get busted, of course, Facebook is like, oh, we had no idea. They, well, they, no, we told the defense them. Is, the defense is, well, after, after we stopped companies doing this three years ago, we right. went to all the companies concerned and said, you must delete the data. Right. Cambridge Analytica told us they had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just like, well, yeah, that's kind of the weakest excuse ever. Well, it's not. It, nobody would believe that they would. Why would they delete the data? Well, they, apparently they certified to Facebook that they had deleted the data. Right. Well, so what's that? What, what do they mean by deleted the data? I the pro- yeah, I think that's the problem is actually what they did is they, they deleted something that they felt complied with Facebook's right. request. But they'd already pr- processed the data. Right. Right. And the processing of the data and the knowledge from the processing and the people they'd shared it with, that wasn't deleted. They didn't go down and expunge every scrap of related data relating to the Facebook data. They presumably just said, oh, yeah, that file you sent us. We deleted okay, it. Yeah, we've, we've put it in the trash. Right. But, of course, we've already imported that into a FileMaker database. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're not deleting that because that's, that's our data now. But we, d- we deleted this stuff. But going back to this Ars Technica story. So a user downloaded his Facebook data, which I don't even know how to do. I, I'm kind of curious about doing it myself. And sure enough, it had who he called, whether it was an incoming or outgoing, whether he uh, answered the phone, and then how long he talked to this person. In what moral company would this be allowed? That it, they uploaded this data to their own servers. Yeah. Why would Facebook do that? Now, Facebook says, well, you can go there and delete it. Well, because you're not keeping a copyright. Just yeah. like, uh, oh, another company you asked to delete their data, and I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. here's, I, I think this is a massive problem, and I don't see an easy solution other than regulation for, and look, Tim Cook is slamming Google. And he's once again come out and said, Our customers are our customers, our users. Advertisers, we do not share information with third parties. And that's one of the reasons so many advertising companies are not advertising on Apple's platforms because they're not getting the data. That's what they want. They want the data on the people with the eyeballs listening. And Apple's just not going to share it. And I think they're 100% right here. So as much as we were slamming education for their boneheaded move in the educational market or whatever the hell that thing was they just did, um, at least they understand, and they're a moral company to a certain level, that they're not going to share this data because it is morally wrong to do so. And yeah. all these other companies simply don't get it. Well, so there's new regulation coming in here in the in the EU this year called the, uh, what's it called? The General Data Protection Regulation Law. Okay, and this is... This is a really, really tough data protection regulation with real teeth as well, okay, where, in fact, the organizations have to be transparent about what they do with data. The data is classified in the EU as being on loan to the company rather than being the possession of the company. That means they, the customer has a right to know who's using it, whether it's being passed on to anybody else, and to demand it to be, to be returned. And it's really, really... Uh, complying with it is going to be really yeah it, it's going to be very difficult but you know what i think that the u.s i think every major uh governmental body 
in the developed world needs to do exactly this thing. But yeah. none of that matters if there's no accountability, David. And that's where my concerns are. Until something like this happens, this whole data dump to uh, from your cell phones, until they go in and put Mark Zuckerberg behind bars for a, a weekend, until he can go in front of a judge and post bond, until something like that happens, nothing's going to change. Yeah, I guarantee I you, if he goes, if he has to go to jail for a weekend because of something like this, you'll see some pretty big damn changes. You take some of these these little millionaire dudes out there who are just there's no recourse on bad behavior. They just continue to do it because no one ever they're not held accountable. Until you actually hold them accountable, take their freedom away for a weekend. I'm not saying beat them up or anything like that. Put them in jail for a weekend and let's see how fast it changes. Well, you've got to find them big money. You've got to find them a kind of $12 billion. Yeah. You can't well, be like, oh, it's a $10 million yeah. fine. They but don't care. Apparently, the um, GPDR maximum fine is 20 million euros or 4% of global revenue, whichever is higher. Yeah, well, now, that that's good, and that's for every single breach. Right. So every time you get thing with this, yeah, they're going to come after you for four percent of global revenue. Even yep. Facebook's going to pause at that. Uh, well, let's but, hope so. Yeah, but, you know, of course, you can guarantee that every big company's got lawyers trying to figure out sure. ways around this law at this point. Yep. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not. I'm I, telling you, put put a guy in jail for a weekend, you're going to see changes yeah, immediately. Exactly. The nature of this sort of regulation yep. is that is that. Every every case they're prosecuted with, they will fight tooth and nail, yep. drag it out for years and years, and then try and settle. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and in the meantime, maybe make some changes. So I'm not expecting this to be a panacea, but I think you're absolutely right. Governments around the world have got to realise that these, you know, this. It makes me laugh because all the security services are so het up on, you know, how do we solve the going dark problem? How do we beat encryption? Yeah. And in the meantime, data like this is being passed around left and right, right. And regulators are going yeah well it's fine yep <laughs> you know. so let's uh get off the bad subjects and uh let's talk about something for in our wiki trolling section this week david um i i sat down again 10 minutes 15 20 minutes or so before we actually started recording and thinking what would be fun to talk about because i knew where we were going to go with the facebook uh scraped call story and of course apple and education which I totally wanted that to be a positive story, but it's just not. Pac-Man. How about Pac-Man? Pac-Man's fun, David. So that is our topic for this tech fan's uh, wiki trolling, Pac-Man. So Pac-Man was created in Japan um, as an arcade machine from Namco in uh, May of 1980. So it was created by Japanese video game designer Toru Uwatani. It was licensed for distribution in the United States by Midway Games and released in October of 1980. Now, I was 10 years old in 1980, David. You're about that same age. Yep. You remember, I'm sure, when Pac-Man hit. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, because it... Pac-Man showed that the arc to me that the arcade thing wasn't just a flash in the pan because we'd had Space Invaders. Space Invaders was massive. Well, the but two big was, ones were Space Invaders and Asteroid at the time. Yeah, but but relatively those games were kind of primitive in terms of the way they presented. They were all monochrome. 
And, the, and it wasn't a character the either. You used to have coloured strips on the screen right. to try and make it, make it coloured. It was all monochrome. And really the gameplay was was very repetitive. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of... In, you know, it, Asteroids, it all appeared to be random. And then in Space Invaders, there wasn't any intelligence in, in the game. Right. You know, it was literally do the same thing over and over again, and it kind of functioned the same way. It just sped up. Well, and Asteroids was the same. Yeah, but Where there was it, no characters, though. Exactly. That's yeah, the difference. There was, no, there was no soul to it. When, right. When Pac-Man came along, first of all, it was extremely colorful. Um, it You know, it definitely was a step up kind of arcade hardware-wise. But also, as well, it had great sound effects. It had a story to it. it you know, it was it wasn't... Just, you know, oh, well, the aliens are coming or anything like that. So it had personality because it was you against these four uh, characters who were trying to get you. And, the, you know, the unique thing about it is when you first see the game, you think, okay, so I've got to run around and avoid the ghosts. But then, the, you know, the, the clever bit is there's parts of the board where you can turn... <laughs> I mean, just exactly. that. I yeah. mean, in, in Space Invaders, or those games, when you die, it's a... Right? It's this very violent... And when you get caught by the ghost in Pac-Man, I mean, it's it's light, it's friendly. But also as well, you know, the, the special thing about it was that, you know, it, it's it's challenging, but there's there's a part where you can turn the tables on the ghosts, and they're running away from you. And, uh, you know, if you've ever played Pac-Man seriously, I mean, that game mechanic kind of disappears once you get to about level 10. Because effectively the ghosts are blue for such a short period of time that you've got no chance of eating them. Yeah. Um, so, but it it really it really had much more personality. It felt like the game wasn't unfair. Right. A lot of times with Space Invaders and Asteroids, you felt like the game was a bit unfair. You know, you could be hit by a fast-moving asteroid. There was nothing you could do about it. The uh, in Space Invaders, you, you know, you you'd be trying to shoot something and it would shoot you back, and you kind of feel, oh, well, that's a bit cheap. Right. Yeah. With with Pac Man, it never felt cheap because you. When any time you got caught by the ghost, you kind of looked at it and thought, "Yeah, I made a mistake there." Yeah. Exactly. It was more. It was definitely more skill based. Yeah. But it. I think it goes beyond just the gameplay. I mean, when you would drop in a quarter in a typical arcade game before Pac Man, there was no. And when I say character, I don't mean the the Pac Man character. I mean just what it made you feel like when you dropped in a quarter with Pac Man. And then, chunka chunka chunka. I mean, it was fun. It was light. It it had character. You know, they also got well, so much it right. First, it was the first one where you could, people could watch you play, uh, and they would get some enjoyment out of watching you play. Yes. And it, it could be participative. Come, somebody would say, "Oh, watch out! That ghost is coming." You know, or what did he go that way for? Or you know, go out through the side and and all those sort of things. People got in more involved with that than I think the other games. There were books on on strategy. You know, it, there were there was a song. You remember Pac Man Fever? Oh, I remember the song, and I remember the cartoon, and I mean, it was it really became the first video game property that really kind of got marketed into something outside of itself. You know. It's a terrible song. I got a pocket full of quarters and I'm headed to the arcade. And I don't quite have this as well. Shake me. <laughs> this is just terrible. <laughs> I'm gonna 
I'm just getting to the chorus. So I, I, uh, I will take your thanks now to all the listeners who are not going to have that earworm for a while. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it was a phenomenon. But here's the thing. It's 2018 as we record this episode. That means that Pac-Man came out 38 years ago. And it still has new versions of this character in games. They still make Pac-Man games. There's Pac-Man yeah. on your every mobile device on the planet. There's uh, new Xbox and PlayStation games coming out with Pac-Man. Pac-Man Championship, for instance, is a it, it, it is more like the original game than any other game since, other than like you know Miss Pac-Man. But I'm talking harkening back to the original gameplay of Pac-Man, going around mazes, eating dots, getting the ghosts. Would you get a power pellet? going as far as you can, getting a big score. Uh, Pac-Man Championship Edition is on every major pl gaming platform now, and it is arguably a better game than the original Pac-Man. It's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and also as well, I think as a cultural phenomenon, you know, one of the things Pac-Man always had going for it is that you could, you could watch the cabinet display and instantly understand how to play. Exactly. Yeah, right? Um, uh, there's, a, there's a quote here in the Wikipedia article saying that it had the impression uh, of winnability. An important trait of any game is the illusion of winnability. The most successful game in this respect is Pac-Man, which appears winnable to most players, yet is never quite winnable. Um, you know, that it, it is. It's, it's literally a pick-up-and-play game. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pac-Man as a cultural icon is so familiar. I think you could go to pretty much anybody, no matter how little interest they had in video games. Yeah, certainly in the Western world. And most people would know, if you said, what's Pac-Man to them, they would know what it is, and they would probably be able to tell you the rough rudiments of the game, even if they'd never really played it. You know, they, they know it's, oh, it's a yellow circle that eats the dots and is chased by the ghost. And that kind of sums up in a maze. That sums the game up. You know, you've just described the entire game in the kind of the classic elevator pitch. And, and even... That's why it's so, you know, it's nearly 40 years old. My kids don't know half of the things I was into as a child. Yeah, but they know all about Pac-Man, and I can put them down in front of a Pac-Man game, and they can play it. Exactly. Fact, we, we, were in a, we were in a computer game store a, a few weeks ago, my son and I, and they had a Miss Pac-Man game there, who, which actually I think is a better game than the original. Oh, no question. Yeah, um, and he played it, and then I played it, and I beat him, which was pretty good. But, um, you know, he, he wanted to play. He wanted to play Pac-Man like a 35-year-old game. Yeah, You know, and, and, and very few games from 35 years ago in this f flavor can rival that. There's a few that the younger generations could possibly get into. I think Donkey Kong is one that is um, not quite as whimsical as Pac-Man, but I got to go up there and get the girl. I got to jump over the barrels. I got to climb the ladders. Pretty simple gameplay, but yet it's Mario. And kids well, nowadays know Mario. Mario. Yeah. I think... I think most people know Donkey Kong because Mar both Mario and Donkey Kong themselves have been in subsequent games. Yes. Yeah. But I, I you know, that that was the beginning of uh, Mario was was more of a cultural phenomenon because he became like the brand identity for Nintendo. Yes. Um, I wonder how much longevity Donkey Kong would have had without that. Probably but, not. You know, I mean, let, let's face it, 
the, the thing about Pac-Man is it transcends... People don't think, oh, that was Namco's game or anything like that. It transcends brand identity. It, it does. is its own brand identity. It is. And the yeah. bad guys are Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. Clyde, yeah. And you know, even the bad guys, there was just four ghosts. They even had their own identity. I, You know, those cartoons were spawned from it. Um you can get anything from a T-shirt today. You can get anything from a T-shirt with Pac-Man. I've got a Pac-Man T-shirt. Actually, I really so like it. I, I, in fact, I was wearing it just last week. Oh, yeah? Um, I'm, I, you know, we, we tend to do a thing on Fridays where people tend to, tend to dress down on a Friday. So I had mine on. So mine is, um, you know, you know the Abbey Road cover? Uh-huh. Crossing. Sure. Mine is, is Abbey Road, but instead of the Beatles crossing the pedestrian crossing, it's uh, Pac-Man and the Four Ghosts. See, that's right? awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I walked into work and immediately somebody said to me, wow, that's a really cool T-shirt. Right? And, yeah. But everybody knows who what it is. Nobody knows, oh, what, the, what are those things? And I think at this point, it's transcended video games. You can get it on a thermos, on a T-shirt. You can still play the games. It's one of these properties that I think when it was created in 1980, nobody knew. Even when it got really big in the 80s, which is probably 81, 82 is when, because of Miss Pac-Man coming out and the original Pac-Man and the cartoons, that was, you know, its highest mark. No question. Yeah. But who would have thought in when we were 12, 13 years old that we'd be talking about Pac-Man not as this nostalgic thing, but as still a cultural thing that's significant 38 years later. I mean, yeah. you know, on, on uh, I forget which day it is, but Google Maps even had a thing. If you went to Google Maps and pushed a certain button or something, you could play Pac-Man on Google Streets, on, on yeah. Google Maps. The, street, the, the maps were the maze. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that's very cool. So very cool. that is our work. interesting thing I, I see here is that Pac-Man was so popular that in the first year of the video game's release, yeah, it made more money than Star Wars. Yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. about that. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it, long-time listeners of the show knows I've got a couple arcade machines in here. And one of them is a Super Pac-Man, which is not a great arcade game. But, of uh, course, I've switched the board, and I've got... It plays 60 different games, but... More importantly, it plays the actual Pac-Man game in there. And it for those who say, yeah, I've got it on my Xbox or something like that, it is not the same experience as the original Pac-Man in an arcade game or arcade cabinet because you had a true four-way joystick. What that means is up, down, left, right. And they go, well, yeah, I've got that on my controller. Yeah, but no you corners. don't really. There's no corners. And yeah. a lot of the problems with playing it on a, a home console is you're accidentally pushing down and left at the same time. Yeah. And so it doesn't know which way you're supposed to go, so it just makes a educated guess, which half the time is going to be wrong simply because it's 50% yes or no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, here's an example. A, a true four-way joystick, to me, David, is a necessity if you're going to play old arcade games. You know, stuff like Burger Time or Frogger or you have to have the right controls. And so replicating that is a totally different experience than us standing in an arcade in 1981, dropping quarter after quarter into Pac-Man and playing it. And because the controls were 
it would, they were leaf switches underneath. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. <clears throat> so it was very much a skill based game. You know, you had to have the skill if you're going to get a high score. You're not going to luck into a high score in Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man. Um, going on a tangent for a minute, I got this. Let me pull it over here. I got this. Uh, it's called a Mayflash. And you can Google this if you want, David. Sure. It's called a Mayflash Arcade Fight Stick F100. And it works with the PS3. I don't think it works with an Xbox. but And it works with the PC and Android. But what I wanted it for, it's this, it's a, it's an arcade thing that sits in your lap or on a desktop. And I don't always want to stand and play Pac-Man as if, for instance, since we're on that subject, um, I've got it on my Raspberry Pi, right? Yeah. So what I did, I took this, uh, Mayflash arcade, I took out the eight way joystick and I installed a four way joystick. That was uh-huh. half the price of the May stick thing. <laughs> I got this on, on eBay. But um, Holland Computer, who I've talked about in the past, uh, I bought it from them, this joystick. So if you've already pulled that up and Googled it and you see what I'm holding in my hand right now, yeah. my joystick is a green ball on top now. Right. And it's a true four-way, and it just plugs right into my uh, uh, my retro pie, if you will. And I play classic arcade games as well as stuff like NES that required a true four-way thumbstick using this, and it's a fantastic experience. It really is. Yeah, the, the Mayflash, there seems to be about 50 different versions. There's an F500, there's an F400. I've got 300. the F100. Yeah. Um, it's an older one because I, I it was pretty cheap on... on uh, I was going to get a, a more modern one, but all I really wanted needed is buttons, and I got a... I don't like the buttons on this. You can hear them. They're kind yeah. of cheap. I'm going to replace the buttons too. But all I really wanted was the case itself to replace yeah. the joystick, eventually to replace the buttons, and just be able to plug it in via USB to my RetroPie and, and play some classic arcade games well, I, I quickly. Guess that, that enclosure is big enough that if you wanted, you could kind of open it up and put the Raspberry Pi inside. I've already done that. Um, the problem is I don't feel like cutting this thing up yet. Yeah. And figuring out how I'm going to mount it. I kind of already got that figured out. That's not a big deal. But, yeah, I could do that. And then it's just, you know, two cords going into it, um, a power and an HDMI, and then wire the buttons directly into the USB inside the device so nothing would even be sticking out. And, and I could do that, but, eh, it's not that the big a deal. That, I mean, looking at this, the other thing it reminds me of, there's a... There's a thing called the Pandora 4S. Have you heard about this, the Pandora box? Yeah, it's about three times as long as this one is, yeah. but yeah. But doesn't doesn't that actually have a jammer board built into it? Uh, so. Some of them do, some of them don't, but yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's an eight-way joystick, and yeah. it, you cannot use an eight-way joystick on classic arcade games. You can on can, fighting games. Can you get switchable ones? Well, the one that I bought, um, if I if I open it back up and I go underneath it, it's got a gate. You squeeze, you twist, and you put it back in, and now it's an eight-way joystick. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it will work that way. But I'll be honest with you. When it comes to joysticks, my favorite is the ones from Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. Those leaf, sti- those, uh, leaf spring joysticks are just so much better. That is my favorite type of joystick by far. And they are not cheap. When you go and try to find one, you're going to spend three times as much for one of those as these with the little... 
micro switch inside. Yeah. But for the casual gameplay like I do with this, it's fine. It's pretty cool. Good stuff. So that is our wiki trolling. What? Every time we do one of these shows, I end up going looking for stuff on eBay. <laughs> I got, you know, I and I'll send you, well, I that's what I bought right there. Uh, and I can send you the link to the joystick. Just get a four-way joystick that's switchable. Um, yeah. In fact, let me, because there are different joysticks out there, and you got to make sure you get one that is um, able to be switched. Let me put it that way. So let me pull up my my eBay and purchase history. And it is, the one I bought is original Sanwa arcade joystick with green ball, four-way, eight-way positions. Now, if you're looking for, that's a lot, but if you're just looking for exactly the model that I bought, uh, I can give that, but it's it's just a bunch of letters and numbers. So if you just look for Sanwa arcade joystick, four-way, eight-way, you'll find it. And and they just it it works perfectly and it mounted perfectly in this. Yeah, we're lo- we're losing you, David. Someone's using the internet at your house. Are your, are your buttons also Samwa? Um, uh, no. So there's kits here that sell the joystick and the and a whole eight but eight or ten buttons as well. Yes, and all the wiring. Yep. That you can get to. Yeah, I found it four eight way name jammer and i got the one with the green ball because i've already got a bunch of ones with red balls and yeah i thought yeah something different it'll look different and it does look good 20 pounds on ebay here is not that expensive no obviously i need to get the mayflash as well so i may uh, for mine um here let me do a quick quick screen grab and i just (laughs) it's about a month between buying the uh the flight stick or the fight stick and the uh arcade joystick because i was kind of hoping that it wasn't clear if I could switch the one that came with the um, the arcade fighting stick thing. Could it, could I? Is it a maybe a four way in there? And it wasn't. And it took me a while to figure that out because I honestly I was busy. But you can yeah. see exactly here. I'm posting it in uh, our sh- our uh, wire thing. You can actually buy separately the restrictor gate. Yes. Or an appropriate joystick to Yeah, but to. just buy the joystick itself. Yeah. You can see exactly what I spent for these two things. Yeah, I have the the, the same ones I've been looking at. Yep. So for the uh, the PS3 fight stick, uh, I pay thirty nine seventy five, and for the joystick twenty four ninety five. <laughs> yeah, so I'd be paying the same price as I'd be. I'd be paying in pounds rather than right. dollars, so it'd be more expensive. But you know what? If, if you've already got, and I know you do, if you already got uh, a retro pie running on a Raspberry Pi, and you've got all the ROMs and all that, it is pretty simple to go ahead and hook this up and just. Mm-hmm. It's nice. I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy with it. And that's, at the end of the day, I'm happy about that. I just wanted something that I could quickly, I don't always want to stand in front of the arcade. And look, my skill standing in front of my arcade playing Miss Pac-Man, for instance, or Burger Time, is going to smoke whatever the high score I get sitting on my butt with this thing in my lap. It just is. But, you know, sometimes I just want to play a quick game. So there you go. That is our wiki trolling segment and a little bit of extra so 
We do appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this episode of TechFan. We encourage you to send us feedback. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Of course, you can go to techfanpodcast or mymac.com and uh, post comments there. If you're up on mymac.com, you might want to check out MyMac Podcast number 700. Both David and I were on that episode. Uh, I did a kind of a sit down with Guy that lasted about an hour. Uh, David had a smaller segment after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Principally because Guy contacted me about coming on about two days before he, he needed it recorded. Yes. So, you know. He did me too. And then I said, yeah, I'll come on around 10 o'clock tonight. And then I didn't remember until 1030 that night. And I'm like, ah, crap. Yeah. So yeah. it was pretty late and I was drinking a little bit of alcohol. And of course I got talky. So there you go. It went away. You know what? Alcohol and their show probably goes hand in hand. It would probably ours too, except for we recording for me at 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning. And that's yeah, me three in the afternoon. Yeah. Is, um, I suppose I could start drinking before the show. Yeah. Maybe if you're already home. Time point. Yeah, what the heck? So David, I'll see you next week. See you then. Thank you.